0: During times in this episode, there is sensitive content that may be traumatizing to some audiences. Listener discretion advised. Welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. I'm Jennifer Diane Ghostin, your host. Storytelling is just one of the best ways for adoptees to convey what has happened in their life from their perspective and a great way to open up. To the adoption community. You, the listening audience, will have the opportunity through episodes in this podcast to learn, dissect, and grapple with some of the issues involving those of us separated from our family of origin. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation, validation even, that you are not alone in your experience wherever you are on the path of healing and or managing past traumatic events. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest and I both call Nashville, Tennessee our home. She is a same race domestic adoptee who at the age of 27 learned that she may never be able to find her biological family because she was abandoned in a trash bin at birth. Her name is Patrice Martin and we are becoming fast friends. In her profession, she works in grants management in the nonprofit and for profit sectors. She has always known she was adopted. Though Patrice grew up in Pittsburgh, PA, with a loving family, she has some major twists and turns to her story. In this episode, Patrice will share a part of her relinquishment, adoption, search, and reunion journey that was publicly revealed on Season 6, Episode 8, of Long Lost Family. She now lives her full story with both sides of her family and is looking to move optimistically forward with life while also helping others. Allow me to introduce you to Dr. Patrice, someone who does not shy away from the issues that adoption raises in the life of adoptees works to help children coming after her and adults to see their potential while being a part of a non-ideal situation. She takes the time during this chat with me to explore what's ahead for her in creating positive change in the world of foster care and adoption. Patrice, I'm so happy to have this conversation with you today, and I don't have to ask you how the weather is, because we're in the same place, which is Nashville, and it's cloudy. But how are you feeling today?
1: I'm feeling great. We, as you know, we just went through a series of storms, and so I feel like we've come on the other side of some stormy weather, so... That's a good thing. And so I'm looking outside, feeling great. Just really excited to have this conversation with you and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, we both moved
0: here from other places. I know I'm from Chicago and you're from Pittsburgh.
1: I am from Pittsburgh, originally born and raised in Pittsburgh. My husband and I moved here in October of 2022 from New Jersey. I got a chance to come here from New Jersey, lived there about 15 years after Pittsburgh.
0: Okay. I I do remember you telling me that. How do you like Nashville?
1: I like Nashville a lot. I was just telling my husband this morning about how there's just a, what do I want to call it? I said hominess. <laughs> That's not a word, but just a, calmness to the people and a little bit different vibe than living in um new jersey uh the people are just overall or just been so more you know welcoming and friendly and um fit more family oriented it seems like you know so i really like that aspect of it. it reminds me a lot of pittsburgh and where i came from people just go out of their way to kind of help you and That's so true. Yeah. I I really like
0: that. I agree. And people always ask me, especially those from Chicago, what is it about Nashville? So I'll just briefly say, I'm going to just say what you said. I find the people to be kind, even if they don't know you. And something about that I can really appreciate. I know I was in the store one time, I was in a Home Depot, and I was looking for some deck paint. There was a young man in the aisle of the paint. I thought he worked there. So I asked him, could he help me? And he said, yes, ma'am. And he proceeded to help me. And then it dawned on me, maybe I should see if he works here. Come to find out he did not work there. And from that day to this, that's been many years ago, I said the people are just very different here in in a very comforting way. And yeah, I can appreciate that.
1: Yes, very much so.
0: So we met through Dr. Sib. Shout out to Dr. Dr. Sib. She's on here as a guest from season six, episode 88. And I'm so glad she put us together. First started via email. And then we took it to the next level when you were the most wonderful host for Angela Tucker's book event here in Nashville back in June. And so I got to meet you in person and you're at your lovely home and you fixed us such a wonderful meal. And the four of us really got to fellowship on a level that is just so dear to me. And so what are your thoughts about that entire day?
1: I agree. I resonate with everything that you said. I just was so full, you know, Mm -hmm. so full and so filled up with just connecting with all of you. You know, it, I felt like, yes, we have this backdrop of, of course, all of us being in the adoptee community. Um, And that's what brought us together. But it was more than that. It was more than, yeah, that's the, how it originally started. But then it was, I got to know this person. I got to know, you know, a little bit about, you know, of course we tell, you know, all of our stories and everything like that, that we do. We exchange that kind of information. But That kind of even gives you a window into everybody where they're moving forward to. And I just felt like a sense of that you all, all of you were just moving forward in a sense, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. But you have these things and you're your own individual person. And I just love getting to know about how you're moving forward with your life and just. Just day to day, just you. I really felt like I got to know, in a real fast way, genuinely everybody that was a part of that. And I think it, it was it was just what you needed. It was very authentic, wouldn't you say?
0: It was. It was very organic, and it just felt like a kinship. Like you say, it was it was actually bigger than us all being adopted people. It was like women really getting to know each other like you said and and I appreciate everything you said there sitting down very comfortable and, and at ease with one another and open I felt like Angela was very vulnerable in conversations as I think we all were and and it it just felt right it feels like I've known you more than a month you know I feel like <laughs> a, a deep connection a lot of it has to do with how much you share and and I feel like you you do just keep it real, what what you've been through, which is quite a lot, and where you're going, like the, the big plans. We're going to talk about the three pillars that you shared with me and others that just sound like great ideas. And, and I want you to let me know how I can support you in all three of those. Yeah, so I think we'll just go on and get into the fact that your story was actually very public, at least a part of your story on the series Long Lost Family. And I got to check it out, season six, episode eight. And there's parts of it that are heartbreaking and parts of it that I felt you being empowered to a great degree, being in reunion with biological family members. So wherever you want to start and however much you want to share would be great.
1: Yes, thank you so much for watching that. And I always tell people this when they tell me that they watch it. I will tell my sister. Um I, I always tell people and I try to tell her when I know that people have watched it because it's a shared story. It's a shared story about a family. That's the way that I take it. I like to let her know because she put herself out there um to be on there as well. And so I like to let her know that. So thank you for watching. I have probably three particular milestones in my journey as in in adoptee land, as you say. First, I was born in October of 1976. That's where I feel like everything started. On the show, as you will see, my birth mother was in a situation where she had hit a pregnancy. She already had my sister was about two at the time she had gotten into a relationship with a man that she worked with. She hid the pregnancy because she was a young nurse that was starting off. She was an African-American woman that was a, um RN at a hospital in Pittsburgh, and she just saw it as an opportunity, and she didn't want to lose that opportunity, basically, due to her needing to take off for maternity leave. So she hid it. She was in and out of relationship with this man, and who was my biological father. And they both, again, they worked at the hospital together. And she ended up having me in October of 1976 on the bathroom floor of her parents' home where she was living. And she cut the cord herself, knew a lot about medicine, obviously, and had kind of like what I would like to call like a mental break. It was like, oh my goodness, I have a baby here that I've hid. What do I do? So I panic and go outside and wrap the baby up. She actually put me in my sister's clothes, put me outside by a trash bin and um, disguised her voice and called the police, you know, when she came to herself and just told them there's a baby out there. That story actually is a part of a news article that was ran that day. And I actually have a copy of the news article that if I haven't, I can share with you. But I just feel like that's one part of the story. So that's the origin part. After that, five to eight months later, five, about five months later, I was presented to my adoptive parents that took me in and I lived in foster care and then it was presented to them, this young African-American couple who wanted to have have a baby. And at the time, my mother, you know, she just she just couldn't. They adopted me. And so goes the story. And they were, you know, told a story that I think in some ways this will be a great arrangement for you because there's no way we can get to this kid's family anyway. You just go on, you know, just tell her at the time. A lot of people in the, you know, late 60s, or early 70s were like, you know, the advice was always tell her that she's adopted, but just go ahead and, you know, assimilate her into your family and everything will be fine. So that's what they did. And they raised me, you know, I had a pretty much middle class. Upbringing, you know, uh, went to uh, my mom made some sacrifices. She was a nurse as well, um, coincidentally, and made some sacrifices. And I ended up in, um, you know, some private schools and everything like that. I was raised pretty normal upbringing. My parents, however, did have some challenges, and they split up by the time I was about six or seven, because my my father um, suffered with alcoholism, really bad. By the time I was 13 years old, he had spiraled out of control so bad, my doctor father, that um, he actually did commit suicide. And I tell that part of the story not to disparage, you know, his memory or anything like that or expose my family to things. But I think as we talk, you'll definitely see that's one of the reasons in some of the work that I'm working on moving forward there's some reason behind some of the work that I'm doing fast forward. And I'm saying all this to also let people know that, you know, we're adopted into families that have their own issues, right? right? It, yeah. You know, it was, wasn't necessarily perfect, but it was, a, it is a loving family. I'm um, a family's very loving, took care of me and all of that. Fast forward to about 2004, I'm coming into my own doing my own thing, my own career. And there was just crossroads where I think my mom was starting to see where I was kind of coming into my own. She needed to revisit this idea of being adopted and me possibly looking for people. And because the part of the story that she had withheld was the part about me being left in the trash bin. So I had always known I was adopted, but I did not know until 2004 that I was left by a trash bin. So she um, did some research, got, when I got the article, was able to show me that and just really kind of let me know about the whole totality of my story. So I'm in the back of my mind thinking, well, if there's any hope of me ever finding anybody, that's just not going to happen. I don't know if, you know, like in 2004, people probably did, but it was probably really, really at the upper echelons of society, so to speak, where you had to pay thousands and thousands of dollars and get this, you know, it worked with a geneticist to even do some type of DNA work. So it wasn't as commonplace as it is now. We didn't have the ancestries and things like that. So fast forward, about 2018, I am up late one night um, watching TV. I saw that there was a show on TLC called Long Lost Family. And I started watching the episodes. It was fascinating to me. I said, people really do this? They reunited Adoptees with their families. What is this? So I couldn't get the show. I went to work the next day. Couldn't get the show out of my mind. On my lunch break, munched on my sandwich. I looked out and saw that they have, you know, inquiries for casting. So I said I would fill out this form. It took me about ten minutes to fill it out, and I sent the information in. I honestly didn't think two seconds after I sent it in. I said I thought it was a long shot, but whatever. Well, that was in May of 2018, in November of 2018, I get a email called, hey, we, you know, we're looking through and we saw your story and it's of interest to us. So I did some subsequent interviews and things, was told that they would like to send me a DNA kit because they were going to see if they can help me out.
0: Now I just got to, I'm sorry, but I got to ask mm-hmm. you. Are you yeah. feeling nervous? Are you excited when you when they reach out to you?
1: I have the tendency, my personality has a tendency to be head first, you know, in my head, and then it like travels down to my heart, you know? <laughs> so I was thinking at the time, oh, this is cool. We'll get the, you know, we get information. But then I think that night when it kind of settled in, I was like to my husband, I was like, oh my gosh, these people want me to be on this show. I was like, should I, should I be on a show? Like what? Yeah. What like that this, mean? this like, is, guys, is could really, you know, this, like, Yeah, that's, really, that's big. Real. That's It's real. Yeah, yeah, like that's. I didn't realize. And I think I still don't. I don't know. This is so to And I get asked that a lot. They were like, "You yeah, took that like publicly. But you know what I thought? I really thought, Jennifer, I thought. This is going to have probably more benefits to me than bad. Mm -hmm. And I need to do something for me without deeply thinking that that way. Another thing is when I said to, I have to credit my husband for his patience and just, he's just such a laid back person, laid back spirit. When I originally had thought about even doing Ancestry, he had already, you know, done it or whatever, just to kind of see some stuff about his family. And his thought process to me, which it always is, is, yeah, you should go ahead and do that. And I, and initially I was like, well, what if I, you know, do one of those Ancestry kits and these people don't like me? You know what I mean? Like, that's where we kind of go, right? Or they don't want to bother with me or whatever. And then I reached out and then I, it's just going to cause more problems for me. He was like, or there could just be more people that we can invite to the cookout.
0: Oh, I love that. (laughs) Or (laughs) a shout out to supportive partners. Yes.
1: Uh, It it is. I was like, well, I never thought about it that way. Okay. (laughs) Or or they or they could, you know, in his mind, he was like, or they could have some bomb cookouts, which they actually do. (laughs) And we could get invited to those. He likes those cookouts, doesn't he? Um, yeah. So that, that actually he helped balance that out. You know, I, I say that in a funny way, but in the reality of it and being very real about it, you need somebody that's going to help you see, because you get twisted up in your head, right? The benefits of it. And that's for anybody that's doing this work. You know, I'm always going to drop a tidbit of, it's just the teacher in me or whatever. That if anybody is doing this work, anybody that's listening or hasn't done it or is thinking about doing it, that's the stuff. It's okay to think that, to have that duality. But get with a, a trusted partner, friend, whoever, husband, wife.
0: I'm so glad you said all of that because something that's very common with guests on the show is their partner. They they really spend time talking about who. They took along with them. And I would say it was my son. And you named, you named whoever, right? It doesn't have to be a spouse, but certainly consider taking someone along with you to be able to unpack and to get the support through the journey. So thank you for saying that.
1: Yeah, it is. And, and you know, you you and I, you know how you and I do with talking, but that's telling to me that, you know, you. Pick your son, and I. What I said is somebody that fully sees you, right? Mm-hmm. Whoever that is, whoever your person is, take them along with you, and just try it out. Try this thought out. If you toyed around with the thought, think about doing this DNA kit. You know me, you know. I'm, I think I'm just gonna just do it and see. Okay, and let them know. Now you know I'm scared, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: They already say, know. Yeah. yeah, my son knew exactly what to say to me. I remember most people were like, "Well, as soon as your birth certificate comes, open it. You got to open it right away." I was like, "I don't know," and my mm-hmm. son was the only one to say, "I understand that you don't know that." You know, he wasn't the least bit like, "Open it now." And I think, like you said, he completely sees
1: me. Oh yeah, yes. Oh yeah, okay, so. he does. Oh yeah, he does. That's his. That's his mama. So. Mama ain't ready. I ain't nobody needs to tell mama when she needs to be ready. (laughs) Exactly. And I
0: that's I so needed that. Yeah.
1: We could have a whole nother conversation, (laughs) I think, that we could take about why that's important and it's especially important for us at any turn in life. Yeah. Right. About us having really, really safe people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That kind of gets into some of the stuff I'm doing later on anyway, but we'll talk about that. But yes, so that was that. So I get it. They take me and bam, August, 2019, take the show. Um, I'm not going to go too much into the show because I want people to watch it themselves. um, Season six, episode eight, take the show. I get reunited with my sister on the show and find out some other information about other family members. I found out that I do have um, a brother who is my, actually my full sibling, who's a year and a half to about two years younger than me. So my biological mother had another child with the same man afterwards. You know, that that was pretty cool to learn. I learned that on the show. I think I'm still, you know, processing what that means. And then my sister let me know that she's always been so protective and just looking out. She's always looking out, looking out, looking out. She's been looking out for me and my brother forever and looked out and realized that some of the people that she had known in her life were also related to us. And they find out that we had other siblings from our dad. So I got to learn and, and know them. I've been reunited with some of those siblings, my two sisters that are amazing as well, and um, found out that I have another sister that had passed away. Um, from his side. So those are some really cool things that have happened since 2019. I met my biological mother right after the taping as well. And so that was definitely a experience. I met her twice in my life before she passed away four months later. And so that has been a um, part of the experience and that all happened in 2019. And then I meet, you know, meet my reunited with my biological family. There's a lot there, um, you know, siblings and all, and even a ton of aunts and uncles. And then COVID hits, <laughs> and then trying to process everything, I get connected with the adoptee community.
0: Hmm. I wait um, before we go to that. I just want to ask you: the reunion with your birth mother, would you say that? it was a good experience?
1: Yes, it was a very good experience. I was thinking about it the other day. It happened at a time in a space when I definitely needed it at the right time in my life, right space. I was able to connect with her, ask her, you know, have a private conversation with her, ask her some questions that I needed to ask her. I do have feelings like I definitely wish that I would have had more more time with her but I can't even really say that I am even well I say I regret any of that because I was able to see her you know I know many of us who never lay eyes on her never see so that was really cool. Yes
0: I'm glad you were able to be reunited with her before her passing and I'm I'm sorry for your loss. And I also want to just allow space for the loss of your adoptive father. That sounds so tragic and hard for everybody.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I do want to um mention that I was also told on the show that my biological father had passed in 2012 so that I would never be able to meet him as well. Mm. Uh, I think more so now, I'm probably dealing with that more so in in his, just his side and wanting to know a little bit more about
0: that. Well, I can definitely relate to the loss, you know, the losses um, Mm -hmm. of that sort. Yeah. My birth father was deceased as far back as 1990 when I learned of his identity in 2017 and, and my, and my Mm -hmm. birth mother too, she passed in 1996 and, and my adoptive parents are deceased. And when we talk in the adoptee community about the losses quite often they are just so many and yet we've we're finding a way to manage what has happened to us through the years and i would say like the adoption community for me does that and it sounds like since you since you've gotten better connected uh, recently it's doing the same for you
1: it sure is yeah it it really has it has expanded It 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 has just opened up a world. So, without sharing too much, I actually started the journey. I realize now, before 2020, when I reached out to the community, it was during the taping of the show that some things were awakening me about the power of your own story, how to take hold of that, and I think during that experience it really has changed me. And so I wanted to see what this was and then come to find out there's a whole term in the, you know, that there's number one, there's an adoptee community. And then there's all these acronyms and terms that we use, but one of them called coming out of the fog, that's when I can definitely pinpoint and tell you that through that experience, that's one of the bigger gifts I was given from that is that 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 coming out of the fog, that coming and really kind of seeing myself that I didn't just start in this family that I was adopted. And no, I have a story, and I have an origin story. I don't don't just make light of that, and don't just say, "Oh yeah, I was adopted," but this is my whole story. I have a family, and it's large because there were people in it that I'm biologically related to. There are people in my family that I'm not biologically related to. That's me. That's Mm. my story.
0: Right. I love when you say readers digest version, you know, when we often talk, you know, outside of like right now, you say that. And I think I've got to borrow that because our stories are so full and, and that's, Pretty much the mm-hmm. most we can give, like on a podcast episode, is the Reader's Digest <laughs> version. Mm-hmm. And so I think what I wanted to talk to you about, I mean, really important to me, is when we hung out at First Watch uh, mm-hmm. recently and, and you were sharing with me the three pillars. Mm-hmm. I really want you to talk about that. I think that what yeah. you are and doing so- is just, that's going to be so beneficial.
1: Yeah. So out of that, you know, getting connected and community first, the first thing that I did was, and I'd have to put this disclaimer out to people because this is important. This is important to me, important to you. I know, whatever is that I did not make the rest of this journey or am not on it still on the rest of this journey alone. Immediately the show had the foresight to, connect us with a a very well-known licensed um, therapist in the adoptee community. And then I already had a therapist who was adoptee competent. So I just kind of switched back over to her. So my anchors have been the work that I've done with my therapist, as well as going to these finding community. And so I would start to stop by these lounges or whatever. In 2020, they really kind of took off and I just would go in these, you know, Zoom rooms and with other adoptees and I would hear people talking. It just sounded like parts of me that they just resonated. Their stories just resonated. Even things around feelings with, you know, adoptive parents and, you know, relationships and attachment styles and uh, you name it, you know, or not feeling so solid about being reunited to, you know, one person, you, you have a solid thing, but you know, another person over here and some of the questions that come up and, re- and all of that, like, you know, and then sometimes we just talk about regular life situations in the context of who we are, because there's some commonality there. So finding that community, I then started to say, okay, well, what now? Like, what now? And so I started looking at some of the advocacy that some of the other adoptees I knew were doing, and they had kind of narrowed down their lane and kind of figured out things based on their personality style. And so probably in the last six to eight months, I came up with these three pillars for my own advocacy work, because it's just a part of who I am, just in general. I've worked in doing a lot of work with the community for years, but I felt like no, this is my this is my space. So, one of the first things that I did, and I have done in probably about four or five months now, is I founded an informal grassroots movement called the uh, Adoptee Prayer Collective, and this is based on my around, pillar around faith, and I believe that there's a couple of things that the community of faith needs to understand about adoptees and about the process. And it's, it's really kind of just been misunderstood in the context of using scripture to maybe justify some aspects of adoption that are not okay. And understanding how there may are some harmful effects of um, the Western adoptee, you know, system that we have and, you know, some of the impacts that it's had internationally as well, and really kind of unpacking that and our participation in the faith community in that and promulgating narratives that just are not helpful or affirming to people who are living in adopted f- families. So that's one piece of it. What we do at the adopted prayer collective is just once a month adopt these centered prayer. So I'm not saying allies can't come. First parents, whoever wants to come could come, but it's you hearing out loud, adopt these pray things from their heart that they're dealing with. It's a journey, it's going to be you your whole life long. And so, for those that are, it is important to them to have a space where they can speak to God about it. I'm opening that space once a month and they can hear other people. And I I will say and and tell you there's nothing like there's nothing like hearing, you know, another adoptee pray out loud, even if they're praying for a birth parent that they never met, you know, that's in another country. Mm. I've had that. That that changed me. Not only was that person calling out to God for that parent, but that thing changed me. Right. So I was I hold space for those in our community that have that and I see the world in general different. I'm better in the world for it different. You know, when I hear news stories or I hear stories about people discriminating against somebody or, you know, making snap judgments about people just in general, the reverberation is, is way bigger than you could ever think. Um, the second thing that I'm working to help hopefully help do in a, in a little bit is um, I'll have the opportunity of possibly being on um, somebody's live podcast where we talk about the media and how we are portrayed in the media in stories and also the power that the media and executive producers can have and journalists and whoever on telling our stories for real because remember I'll go back to that. That power of that story and really getting that out, that's changing. It's changing the world. It's changing how people see us. I like being a part of that. I like being a part of that conversation. I like being a part of, if I'm asked to consult on things, would, would an adoptee really think this or say this or whatever? I'm looking at ways to possibly partner with other adoptees to get other stories out, you know, maybe even funded, you know, people's projects or whatever, you know, if that takes a life of its own. But I would really, really, that's my second pillar is the, the media. And then my third pillar is looking at, and it really kind of takes a look at forward, what can we do for kids coming after us? And that's the legislative pu- public policy piece. I can't fix what to us, at all. The secrets, lies, The system that helped move things forward, and this is where I talked about earlier, why I'm so passionate about um, systems reform. I'm not saying that this is in no way, shape, or form me saying that I'm not in the family that I'm supposed to be in. I'm not saying that. However, knowing what I do know about families now in my own experience, I can take that and help someone else. So for instance, here in Tennessee, there have been some recent laws where they've shortened the time of home studies that are done before a child is placed just because they have a lot of children that are in the system right now. Oh, I didn't and know that. Get those, yeah. those kids moved through. And that sparked, to me, I'm like, no, 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 don't shorten that time. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you about my personal story. I grew up in a family where they certainly were wonderful people, but if that home study may have gone a different way, maybe somebody would have picked on that, picked up on the fact that my dad needed way more resources for alcoholism and mental health, you know, than what than what he had. Let's not lighten up on the gas on the home studies for adoptive parents. Why would you do that? <laughs> you know, why would you give less time to that? Me knowing what I know, you know, I experienced at 13 double loss. I mean, there's just like you said that we're do, we do the Reader's Digest version. But if I could deeply go into that, it's a miracle that I'm sitting here and talking to you in my right mind, you know, for some of the additional losses you experience on top of what I now know about the loss that I experience of not being able to, you know, genetically mirror and all of those different things there's some real stuff that I was dealing with that I didn't realize, especially in my formative, like teenage years. And so if I can help prevent or just make it a little bit more stable for some kids coming after me, I want to do that. And one of the things that I think I, that I believe in is using the power of systems reform to do that. So those are my three pillars and, that I hope to get involved in and hope to do that. I've kind of taken a break a little bit from my advocacy work this summer for some self-care. And, and I put a pin into this. Is a side note. That's a real big thing for me these days. Is you know a lot of people use the word self-care or whatever, however you want to couch it. But this whole understanding of of self and what you need to do to genuinely look out for you is huge to me, especially within the adoptee community, because a lot of us have lived our lives for a lot of people. And because of their situation, or if it was adoptive parents and they weren't, they couldn't have kids and they adopted us and, you know, they parented out of that space that comes with a lot. And so I just feel like I'm really big advocate on whatever you need to do. That you're fully seen, you're fully heard. You need to you need to take care of you.
0: Thank you for all of that. Yes, I uh, I look forward to to supporting you in any way I can with all three
1: pillars. And thank you so much. I really appreciate that.
0: Yes, and
1: and I know, know you will.
0: <laughs> I, I yeah, I absolutely will. I mean, we're here in Nashville together, which I'm just really thrilled about. And we're going to be, I think, doing so many things together. We've got something we're looking forward to. This Mm -hmm. won't air until after that. But our Operation Fog Lift is coming to Nashville on August 5th. And we're going together and we're going to hang out at the farmer's market before that. And so you'll just have to come back and be a guest after that so we can tell everybody how it was. But I'm actually really looking forward to that. And if you have any links that you want me to put in the show notes, please let me know for the Adoptee Prayer Collective. Yes. Yeah, because I'm sure people would like to know how to to engage that way. I wanted to, to ask you just a couple more questions. And before I do, I want to go back to Long Lost Family. I believe that series is over, right?
1: Yes, it is. I'm actually the last episode that aired. Okay, uh, yeah, and... the series, but it is out there for viewing on both the TLC channel collection. Is there a link to go yes. be able
0: to go right to it that I could put in the show notes?
1: Yes, okay. Yes. And I just wanted
0: to ask you would you recommend people to think about or be open to shows like that when they want? to find their family biological family and be in reunion
1: you know Jennifer this is a funny that you're asking me this and i enjoying that you are asking me this i was telling a cousin of mine about some of the work that i had you know was doing on the advocacy side and they said oh i know somebody and they hooked me up with this particular she she was an adoptive parent and she also works in an adoption agency and she, I think you, you would love to be with this person, you know, go, go and talk to this person because she might have some resources for you, you know? Okay, fine. So we finally got on the phone call and I started to tell her a little bit about what I'm working on, but then told her, yeah, I'm in in reunion and I actually was on this show or whatever. And her reaction was, I would never have recommended that you do that. Mm -hmm. So I said, I took a couple breaths because I was in a, in a different space that she had caught me in a couple of years ago. I don't even know if I would have been able to respond to her. Mm-hmm. But this is what I said in a nutshell to her. I said, I hear what you just said to me. However, you're an adoptive parent and you work in, adop- you know, in adoptive agency. One of the things that I would like, since I'm in the community, for you to consider is that people have their own story and they make choices about finding out the information that they need to find out in the way that they need to find it out. People have that agency to do whatever they need to do to find information. If you go back to what I said, I said I was looking for information and I didn't know how. I would get it. So, yeah, I went to the show because I was looking for information.
0: Any way possible, right? By any means necessary.
1: By any (laughs) means necessary. People have done a whole lot of things. We've talked about people, you know, going to agencies to, you know, going to their state agencies to get information, to get their records and do it. I understand the question that you're asking is coming because of the public nature. I think people should think, long and hard about that piece of it for themselves. But for some people, it's okay because they're just looking for the information and then they know that the, the stuff I needed to take offline and work with the therapist, off, I took offline. And the stuff that I need to process through and the details of it and the, how it's affecting me and all of that, that's between me and my therapist. Right me being reunited, I can't say for myself, it has opened up a whole world of a lot of other things for me. So it was, it was perfect for me. What I'm advising people is that they consider the cost of the public nature for which they're going to do the information. Also consider and ask, maybe, maybe I put together a a booklet, I don't know, around things you need to consider about the media outlet that you're going to connect with because if they're there to just exploit you or exploit the story then you might kind of want to see how things are done and yeah, there was some drama to it in this sense of, oh, we're reuniting this person with their family they've never seen on TV that in and of itself is like <laughs> enough drama there mm-hmm. and yes, there were some questions that were going to probe me to you know, answered, but I was more in my head at that time and wasn't, you know, you weren't going to kind of break me down to like start crying on TV. And for those of us that have done that, that's part of their personality and that's what they did. But I can honestly tell you that particular experience that I was involved in is genuine and what you see is what you get. They allow the talking to just go. There were no prompts for anything and they just shoot.
0: And that's really where that question, my question was coming from a place Mm -hmm. of what did you learn about that experience that perhaps would give guidance to someone else who may be considering that way to get information, like you say, that, that they just want to know more to their story. And at present, this seems like the way to go.
1: Yeah. Or Any type of documentary, if you feel like writing your story and then you've created even a play or like that's what I told you, I'm in the media space. I think you should look at consulting with other adoptees or other people who have that expertise on telling the story just to make sure that the integrity of your story and authenticity of your story is captured. I think that's what's important. But if you feel led that way to do that in a public way or to, to tell that part of your story, you know, you've done it. You know, you know, there's media, there's, there's books, there's all forms of, you know, literature, media, whatever it is. I think that they do have a cost to them, but I think you need to really count the cost. And, and, and the biggest thing I would say is just ensure that whoever you're partnering with is ensuring the authenticity of your story.
0: Well said. Because it yeah. is about you. Yeah. I, I know the filmmaker that I worked with, Jean Strauss, she's an adopted person. That that was really mm-hmm. important mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. And I had gotten to know her as someone that I felt I could trust. She had done other yes. films with, with much integrity. And so yeah, you just kind of weigh these kinds of things and make sure, like you say that your story is being regarded in an authentic way and and it's not being sensationalized or appearing to be for entertainment purposes.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, something you said to me that I I really, I really hold fast to that and about being authentic and just being real, you know, there just naturally is right to our stories. There just naturally is that element of suspense or we already have that built into our lives (laughs) you know that all of us they hear these stories they're like what your mom did what you know so there is naturally that that captivates people so we already have that baked in I think the thing of it is is the purpose for what you're doing it you know the purpose for what what you're you're telling it and what you want what you need to be need to be told, and that that even goes back to the community. There's more and more of us shouting out for the rooftops about helping people to see that there's some there there with the system of adoption in this country and internationally. It has effects on people.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you as a black same race domestic adoptee, which I am yeah. too. Is there anything that is sometimes misunderstood by other adoptees about our experience?
1: I do think that. I've been in community rooms, and I will still continue to say this, with people who maybe have the overlay of their story of them being maybe transracially adopted. So they're adopted by somebody who's not of the same race as them. Or even of the same nationality, you know, it's not all oh, America. They went to another country, and got a child, and are raising them. I think that in those cases, and, and those those adoptees, a lot of times people can like off the bat say, "Oh yeah, I can see why that person might have issues with the system," right? But when I'm in these spaces and I say, well, I would say race, me. And I have the same exact issues with the system that you have because it hasn't counted. It doesn't do a good job of helping children see themselves fully in their whole story. This idea of just plucking kids and them, assimilating them into a family and just acting like they were just always there and they don't have a story until they came to you, is not okay. And we know that. And we know that even physiologically now that that's not okay. It affects attachment. It affects a lot of things. And so what are we going to do about that? I heard an adoptee say this once, and I say it all the time. You're kind of, quote, unquote, hiding in plain sight. And for a lot of Black families, that was, you know, in the 70s and 80s, early 80s, if, you know, you were a middle-class Black woman, you were able to take you know, kids in and you were able to adopt other black kids. And, you know, that was a, a sign of, yeah, that that made you feel good to do that because, you know, we're now included in this adoption process and this narrative where in some ways we may not have been before. However, and yeah, it's easy, you know, oh, I've even heard the stories about people picking kids, you know, for shades and colors that look like them so they could just assimilate a person easier into a family, you know, or other people that found out, late discovery companies that found out that their, their family never even told them, you know, things in our community where we're kind of hiding in plain sight. No, you know what that feels like to be othered in this world. This is what I want to say to African-Americans, Black folks um, who are adopting kids, That child can fully be who they are in your family without you secretly hiding them and their story from them. If you know it, and even if you don't know it fully because of whatever reasons, let them know that you support them in finding out their story and genuinely include that. Don't just say you're supportive for the narrative of it, really be supportive of that person being who they fully are in the context of that. And I think that's my message to people. If you choose to participate in the system, you've got to realize that the person that you've adopted has a full story and you have to decide and resolve in yourself that you're honoring that story and that it's not about you.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Patrice, for all of that. And and I want to honor your time and ask you, in closing, is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to share?
1: No, I think this was a great conversation. I think this balanced with, well, how did you get here? But how are we moving forward? Mm-hmm. And I just want to say to you that I'm glad to be moving forward with you. And oh. I am honored to be on this podcast. I'm honored to be share space with you and for the wonderful body of work that you already have. And I think we're... We're just moving forward together.
0: Oh, I appreciate that. I feel the same way. I'm glad that we are working together and fellowshipping and getting to know each other more and more with each engagement. And it's like I look forward to talking to you. You're so wise and and warm, like you're, you're just loving. So I appreciate you, too. And I thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It's It's been my honor.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Each time I hear Patrice speak about what contributions she is passionate about, I smile. All of them resonate with me as valuable resources to our community. It's worth repeating her three pillars of advocacy work. Media representation, faith community adoptee prayer collective, and system reform for foster care and adoption. A couple of weeks after the recording for this episode, Patrice and I were happy to attend an event here in Nashville, Operation Fog Lift, that took place on August 5th. We met with its creators, Rebecca Autumn Sansom and Liz DeBetta, at the farmer's market before the showing of the film, Reckoning with the Primal Wound, and the one-woman play, Unmothered. Patrice and I spent the first half of the day together getting to know each other better. The entire time was insightful, enjoyable, and most memorable. A true connection was developed and growing stronger by each and every interaction. I feel Patrice's commitment to being an agent for change. We exchange ideas and look forward to how we can best support each other in our endeavors to improve the lives of people affected by foster care and adoption thank you patrice for having this conversation with me for the purpose of those in and outside of our community to be encouraged by our stories we all have gifts and once we recognize what they are we can move into action i find you to be easy to be with kind generous and open to answering the question what can i do to make this world a better place If you're an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, visit jenniferdianegoston.com. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow and or give, hopefully, a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I trust you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is still the very best way for the show to grow if you seek to be an ally of the adoption community I hope you will consider making a monthly donation of at least five dollars or a one time amount that works for you at patreon.com forward slash adopteeland thank you for being here